Welcome to Monday, everybody. Welcome to What the Truck. Welcome back. It's cold down here in uh, Chattanooga, by the way. Those of you freight waivers who are coming into town, don't get confused. Just because it's southeast, it was like 25 degrees this morning. So pack appropriately. It's going to be a cold day down here in Freight Alley all week. It's a tough time out in the ocean, too. We took on this topic on Friday. I had the great John Conrad 5 on there and ryan peterson at flexport who by the way will be at manifest i think he's a speaker over there we're going to speak to a guest from there but i believe ryan is and he says he's been uh one of the top leading voices talking about this red sea conflict and take a look at this he says 95 percent of container ships that would have transitioned the red sea are now going around the southern tip of africa as of this morning the ships diverting from the original course are marked by orange on the flexport map below you can see that right now if you're a visual listener big big diversions and sam boyd says even if you're not in Europe. I promise you'll begin to feel this. It will delay vessels everywhere. Costs will go up, and there'll be inventory issues, of course. Um, ocean freight race, ocean freight prices to the U.S. West Coast are already up 50% East Coast, even more. Always talk about these Black Swan events, and I you know, talk about manifest. Whole new topic for everyone to talk about there. But another one is the freight recession, right? What's going on with their imports were such a driver of the freight buildup. So how are they looking as we ended December? Well, here are U.S. container import volumes in TUs. And as you can see, 2023, uptick a little bit in December there, doing a little bit better than um, obviously the dead year of 2022 and um, that really terrible bloodbath that was 2019. Obviously not to 2020, 2021 levels, but maybe a positive sign with things going at the port. Speaking of ports, we'll be going deep on that too and some new carb rules over there. In fact, let's get you to the rundown. On today's episode of What the Truck, I'm talking to Harbor Trucking Association's Matt Schrapp about drayage entering California's crosshairs. We're going to learn how carb and AB5 regulations will impact West Coast ports this year. Manifest kicks off their winter conference season with their blockbuster event in Las Vegas. I was at it last year. It was a fantastic time. We're going to hear from Pam Simon about who's on the agenda this year and who's going to take the big stage at their big event. We got CDL 1000's Naraj Mahaptra. He's helping carriers get ahead of green regulations with new tools aimed at trucking and reducing emissions. And is there a Zim epidemic at America's freight brokerages? TMX Logi Trent Steven Rue talks about why Zin culture is sweeping the nation. Plus, there's a whole more whole lot more so let's get to it i see steven rue in the green room business development at tmx Logi tran steven good morning to you sir good morning how you doing i'm, I'm doing are you are you packing right now or are you are you, you got a zen in the lip going on oh well not zen i use rogue Okay, so to, there, you know, a lot of times, whenever this topic comes up, Stephen, there's a lot of people who go, hey, I read Rachel's article. I have no idea what, like, what a Zin is. I don't even know what its competitor Rogue is. Set the table for us. What are people putting in their lips? Yeah, so it's, it's a nicotine pouch is what it is. Um, so people used to use chewing tobacco, still use chewing tobacco. Um, and this is the alternative to that product. Um, the nicotine pouch is a lot safer than the other methods, smoking and um, obviously vaping, the chewing right? tobacco. That, yeah, yeah. So the big thing with nicotine, um, sorry, excuse me, one second. The uh, the big thing with nicotine is it has a bad name because of the previous ways that you could get it. Yeah, with smoking and vaping and all that stuff. But nicotine itself is not a bad product. It's actually. Um, it could be a supplement because it, it really only acts on uh, dopamine, acetylcholine, and um, was it, uh, epinephrine, which creates focus and energy, which is what, why everyone loves it so much. Interesting. Um, you know, because Rachel put out this article. It says the disturbing truth behind Zen memes. And I 
read this whole article. I've been through it myself. I have, I have used some Zin, and I found something interesting. I was reading through I know all the people that she interviewed. She talked to Ben Tashurgi, Grace Sharkey, Reed Lucilot, Rachel herself. But one commonality I noticed amongst all these people is they're not actually really like hardcore Zinners. And I think that one thing that was lost in this topic was something you just touched on, was how many people have used it for smoking or vaping or chewing tobacco and tobacco cessation. Is that something you've seen or experienced in your brokerage walls? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even me personally, I used to, I've used chewing tobacco for a very long time. And because of this product, I've been able to quit. Um, and then especially with the way the nature of the job is, which Rachel laid out really well, it there's a lot of factors, you wear a lot of hats, and you need something to provide you that focus to get through the day. Um, especially when you're a cradle to grave broker like myself, when I wear too many hats in a day to be able to wrangle all that. You got a zin. You got a zin to get yourself through the day. This isn't just you. This isn't just the walls of your brokerage. The freight brokers forum over at Reddit said you guys aren't zinning hard enough. And this person has a gigantic pyramid of zins right here. Someone said uh, someone. This person, a redditor, commented. Someone want to send some six millis to a friendly Canadian broker. Communist Canada only allows four milligrams over there. Ugh, I don't know. I mean, I use two at a time to be honest with you, but. Um, I, I, the one thing I noticed with, uh, with, with what she laid out, especially with, um, because you see the tie in the military as well. Uh, a lot of the memes is because of the nature of the job as well. Uh, with it being very stressful, you get a lot of memes and a lot of people jumping on these trains and, uh, it's, it's definitely adds to the fun and it, it helps alleviate the stress is alongside there a- the Zen. Is there like as Rachel suggested, is there a dark side to this though? Is this is this a bad is Zen ultimately a net negative? I know, I know from personal experience, so, um, it helped me stop using a vape. I used to smoke beforehand, went to the vape, now I got the Zin. I know it's helped a lot of people. We work in an industry where like 68% of truck drivers smoke, according to like the last data I looked at. So got a heavy smoking population over there. Uh Zin, positive. It. So it depends. I mean, I'm not a licensed medical provider, but yeah. the only downside is if you have a pre-existing cardiac issue. Okay. Other than that, it's a safe product. Um, the only time you run into issues with nicotine is through the way you receive it, which is going to be the vape or smoking or chewing tobacco. Um, but Zen, Rogue, however you get your nicotine, as long as it's a pouch or a patch or the gum, it's not, it's not bad. So, I mean, what else other than nicotine is in, like, one of these pouches? Like, flavoring, you got other stuff in there? Yeah, it's mainly, it's just the flavoring. Um, and then whatever the pouch is made out of, you know. Um, and that's kind of my issue with Zen. I, I attribute it to, like, the zebra gum of pouches. Oh. The flavor doesn't really last that long. <laughs> I think it's a terrible product. But Rogue is always, I, I love Rogue. Yeah, this is not endorsed by what, Zinn or Rogue. We're just trying to bring some clarity to right, the right, article yeah. and understand why brokers may be doing Now, yeah. my last question for you on this whole thing is, her article touched heavily on brokerage cultures. Does, does this say more about the stress in brokerage culture than the prevalence of the need for um, nicotine or tobacco or, or monster energy drinks inside brokerage walls? It definitely does. So the the need for a Zinn or a product like this or the, the energy drinks, it touches on on that and uh and kind of tying it to the drivers as well you know it's a high stress job a lot of them smoke and this is it's it's a crutch to get you through those stressful situations um that's why you see this kind of use in the military you see it in first responders and police force and stuff like that a lot of people use nicotine products to get them through the day and alleviate that stress and provide that focus when they need it well, at least in this one, too. I mean, there was for years, there's so much about like secondhand smoke and then secondhand vape and how dangerous that is. And even spitting with chewing tobacco, at least with like this type of solution, those around you are not like impacted unless you spit the actual like mouth pillow onto the ground afterwards. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not throwing mouth pillows at people, it's it's pretty. Uh, uh, Dude, I was in uh, I was in Jackson Hole. Model. I was in the ritzy area of Jackson Hole a few months ago, and I was looking around. I noticed little Zin pillows spit on the ground over there. It's it's, it's everywhere. It's not just brokerage. It's sweeping the nation. You know what else is? 
aliens. I got to ask you about. So before I let you go, I got to ask you about a video that went viral over the weekend. Do you believe? Look at these guys right here. Do you believe in the aliens at the Miami Mall? Yo. Hi. Yo, what is that? <laughs> what do you guys think? They said the thing. independence says a viral video is showing heavy police presence after Bayside Marketplace in Miami on New Year's Day made many speculate that aliens had visited the mall to ring in 2024. There was a huge police presence. This looks. This video looks pretty sus to me. It, it, it is, but I'm all for it. I mean, yeah, you got to justify, what was it, like 250 police officers that showed up for what they said was kids with fireworks? I find uh, yeah. that equally I, as hard to believe. Oh, wow. Okay, so you 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 kind of want to believe. You're like the uh, you're like the Mulder or the Scully to my Mulder. I'm a little skeptical. Uh, I'm all for it. I mean, you're all for it? Bring them I want to hear it all. All the now, conspiracy what, theories. Now, what would you prefer to see in person? Would you rather be in the Miami Mall when aliens are there, or would you rather see a naked man in an aquarium at a Bass Pro Shops? I put a poll out to my freight community, and 61% would rather see aliens than that naked man in, brass, in Bass Pro Shops. I, I would have to agree. <laughs> I, I think to. the aliens might be a little easier to swallow. That That video I saw on on Twitter with the man in the uh, tank was a little, it was bad. I felt bad for him. There was a lot of speculation about that video. Uh, we won't get into it on a program like this, but there was definitely right. some commentary. We can't, we can't repeat on here. Now I got to ask you now, things can get crazy at brokers. Like I had steam come over here. They're always doing wild things with their gongs. They've even ran me into their gong. First of all, do you guys have a gong? We do not. We're actually a really small brokerage. Um, there's only three of us currently. It's but, about ten thousand no dollars for like one of those like Steam version of gongs too. So yeah, I mean like you got to go digital until you you can you really right. get bigger. You can scale. But but freightgong.com has been it's been helpful. It's been a lifesaver quite a few times. It's it's been yeah, it's been helping yeah. you now since you don't have the gong, you probably have to do other stupid things within your brokerage. Have you ever got stuck in a flower pot? Let's take a look at Conroe over here. I don't know if this is a brokerage holiday Christmas party or, or a wedding or what's going on. I don't know if you've seen this video. Do we have volume here? This idiot Connor, he went inside a flower pot and now he can't get himself out. <laughs> like his knees, I think. And someone just said to him, you just gotta get yourself out of there. Yeah, no kidding, he's stuck. <laughs> I I don't know if I'd call that celebrating, but it's unique, that's for sure. Yeah, do you have flower pots around the office there that you could try to replicate something like this? Uh, no, we do not. Now, I've how would you get dumpsters out? How would you get Connor out of that? Uh, I'd probably just break it. You probably just break it, depending on how expensive it is. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. We have a solution. They finally freed Connor. Let's see the resolution. <laughs> See, it's an HR issue now. I knew this was like a brokerage Christmas party. This is going to be an F3 experience at our uh, our next conference here in September. So to get them home, do you like broke them, broke them on a Sprinter van? How do you do that? Just just roll them. Just just roll the pot back home. <laughs> no, I think they brought the fire department, so now they're breaking the chisels out. They got to chisel poor Connor out of his flat. He ruined someone's flower pot at this party. How would you recover from this? Would you just quit and resign from your company, or, uh, or would you just yeah. would you lean into this? Um, I'd try to lean into it at first, see how it's receptive, and then, you know, if I have to, just tuck tail and run to the next brokerage that will take me. Hopefully they don't pop, have flower pots. Just pop us in and, and update your resume. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Steven, I appreciate exactly. you. I appreciate you bringing some insight here to the world of brokerage and Zins and flower pots. People want to reach out to you. They want to connect with you. Where do I send them to? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, on LinkedIn. Um, and then uh, those are going to be the main avenues to reach me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if, if you need anything, you want to talk about Zen and... <laughs> And how it affects you. Let me know. And I will say the one thing I want to leave it with is, I will say the uh, the people who have ADHD uh, and a lot of your higher performing brokers that that have ADHD are going to be the ones that are using this the most, especially if they haven't been diagnosed, because the Zen, the nicotine, and ADHD, those meds, they all act on the same receptors in the brain, mm. and that's why they're using it. And it's, it's extremely helpful.
This has uh, put some insight into my own into my own soul as well, Stephen. I, I really appreciate you helping me understand myself and the brokers out there understanding their own uh, addictions. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Take it easy. All right. Meanwhile. Hey, boss. Yeah, we can't keep going on this job. It's starting to rain and thundering hard. Shit, that was lucky. Yeah, it's not good. We'll have to postpone until next week. Now that I'm advocating for that, but that is one way to call in sick on a job site. That guy, uh, I think he got his boss. All right, it's Pam Simon, conference organizer organizer over at Manifest. Pam, it's good seeing you. Good to see you. And where are you finding these clips? This is hysterical. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all I do with my life is look for stupid things to share with, with my lovely audience and people like you, Pam. I um I I'm excited for you guys. I was at Manifest last year. It was in a, an amazing time. Huge showroom floor with there was trucks on there. There was robots in there. Um, there was all there's so much to see. I mean, I saw the Kodiak uh, sensors that they put on their side of their trucks for the first time. I did a pull up on them. There were great sessions. I moderated some. Nelly performed. I went to In and Out Burger and had an animal style uh, French fries and burger, which I hadn't had in years. It was a great time. But Pam, for those people who don't know, what is Manifest? Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Manifest is the only global end-to-end -end supply chain event taking place in Las Vegas, February 5 to 7 at Caesars Forum. Very excited. Uh, it's a full ecosystem that comes together from around the world. We have attendees from over 50 different countries, from investors to shippers to the technology. This is where everyone comes to learn, connect, and expand their businesses and be able to handle all of the disruptions and whatever else comes at us uh, in the supply chain space. You know, I was on the website, I was looking at the speakers and the logos, and it looks like this year you got a really, really good, which you did last year too, but this year even more so, it looks like you got a really, really good cross-section of shippers, um, LSPs, service providers, freight tech companies, some carriers in there. You've got a lot of the community involved, and it's it's a year that like, I think before sort of what's happened in the Red Sea, it was like, uh, could it be another slog? Are we talking about freight recession? Are we talking about lack of investments? Are we talking about companies surviving? And then there's this whole new Black Swan event that has come in, which I'm sure is going to be a massive topic of conversation, not just on stage, but amongst the participants at this. Many of which, if you've never been to Manifest, but you've been to like other freight events, it's like that, but like just a lot more people. Like, but it's going to be all these people you know. Like, it's easy to get overwhelmed before you go. Make sure you strategize a little bit before you get there. Yes, I strongly recommend. Our app actually is going live on Thursday. So please download it. You can start scheduling meetings. You'll be able to connect. Um, our app and technology overall is unparalleled. Um, so you'll be able to connect with everyone that's attending, schedule your meetings so you won't be overwhelmed if you, if you take my advice and download and start scheduling and reaching out to folks. Um, and then additionally, you know, all of our name badges do have a technical tile on them. So when you tap to connect, uh, it'll share all of your information and you'll be able to follow up with them after the show if necessary. Uh, but you are right, it is a big show. The first day will include symposiums on maritime sustainability and intermodal. And then we'll go into covering every other aspect within the supply chain from robotics and automation to cybersecurity to DEI to warehousing and robotics, infrastructure, alternative energy, EVs, automation, drones, you name it. Um, so definitely look at the agenda, kind of figure out what sessions from the educational standpoint you really want to make sure you go to, um, schedule meetings with everyone you can in advance, and then get excited because our hall is double the size. It's actually going to be 200,000 square feet. Uh, so we have a lot of new and exciting surprises that will be coming. Um, I mean, obviously, as you know from, from attending before, you know, the Puppy Lounge will be back. So very excited. Um, there will be a bacon and donut bar. There is a headshot studio. There's uh, actually, we'll have a, um, a style studio. So if you need like, you know, a touch up, you know, hair, makeup, get a trim, whatever you may need, uh, backyard barbecue, coffee. So lots of really exciting and different ways to surprise and connect and build and strengthen relationships with the industry 
from new partners to new investors to new customers and new technology integrations. You know, I have to I have to thank you because your conference and event, at least in our space, is one of the first or the first to popularize the puppy booth. And it's so popular. We ripped you guys off. We put one at F3 and it, it led to a bunch of dogs getting adopted. A gentleman from Loyalty Logistics paid all their adoption fees and made sure these it's not just like to bring engagement to these boots like people actually bring these pets home. That's true. I think three people left with puppies uh, last year. <laughs> very cool. So I mentioned Ryan Peterson, and, and if I were there, I'd be very excited to go see what he has to say. But who's taking the stage this year? Who are some of the speakers that we'll, uh, we'll be privy to? So we have a lot of exciting speakers from you know Uber and Sender, as well as Unilever, SVT Robotics, Agility Robotics. We have Henkel. We have Sony, Fictive, Mattel. Um, Union Pacific, we're really covering a lot of ground. So from shippers like Ulta Beauty and Serta Simmons and Dick Sporting Goods to investors like Primary Forum, um, Activate Capital, um, FF Ventures, and keep going. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of exciting folks that are going to be coming. Um, so we'll be talking about a variety of areas. As you mentioned, Ryan Peterson will go into navigating supply chain disruptions. We'll talk about automation and hear from a number of the robotics folks, including Agility, Boston Dynamics, Locus, Bright Machines, SVP, SVT Robotics. Um, we'll also obviously be spending a good amount of time around cross-border as well as near-shoring, onshoring, reshoring, whatever shoring you feel like calling it these days. Um, we will be we will be diving headfirst into that because that's definitely a big topic. Um, as you mentioned, with the different disruptions that are happening, more and more are looking to bring their manufacturing closer closer to home, um, or at least try to diversify their supply chains more to be more resilient in for whatever is coming our way next. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, a big theme on today's show, I'm talking to Matt from uh, Harvard Truckers Association, is the carb regulations, no new diesels at the port, and what they have to deal with. Every side of the supply chain is either dealing with new regulations, some major disruption, or all of those things together. But, you know, at these events, you always need a little time to cut loose. And you, you're known for your rap parties. You had Nelly last year. Have you announced who's performing this year? What's, what's the big party this year? I get to tell you, aren't okay. you excited? Um, so it's actually, we have Neo will be performing. Ooh, Neo, that's going to be exciting. Or will you be in like front row with Grace Sharkey? Uh, possibly. You never know. I mean, she she's always right in front. So at least I can find her, which is nice. Um, so we'll have... We'll have Neo performing and then also, you know, some we are the week leading into the, the Super Bowl. So there will be some big game announcements and activities and exciting prizes as well. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be crazy. Are you going to go over and see the dome? Do you have a manifest logo like going on the because uh, that's what I would want to see. Even though I was going to I'm like, I got to get the dome in, though. I, I I would love to. I believe you, too, has already kind of taken over <sighs> that entire thing. So, um, yeah, I don't think I want to mess with Bono in that one. We need a, to get like a freight residency there. Now, you mentioned you mentioned an app and I've been to a lot of conferences and, you know, the worst thing you do is just go and wing it. You got to prepare. You got to You got to think a little bit about how you want to strategize if you want to get the most ROI out of this. What is your tip for people coming out to manifest in Vegas? Um, first off, yes, download the app on Thursday when it comes out and start reaching out to people. Uh, you know, for, for companies, really reach out to all of your partners, your customers, your investors, um, because they're going to be there, right? So this is a really good opportunity for you to be able to have those meetings in person, connect with people that are all over the place. Um, so definitely scheduling your meetings, reach out, try to coordinate with your other teams that are going to be coming. Use the app. It's a great way to start the conversation and then schedule meetings right within the app. So you'll be able to schedule it. And then as soon as you walk in, you'll be assigned where your meeting is, where to go. It's a whole seamless process that will make your experience just so much smoother at Manifest. So strongly recommend setting up some meetings ahead of time. How do we go? Are there still tickets? And if so, how does someone go about acquiring those? Uh, head to Manifest Vegas and and register, right? The, the show is in less than five weeks. Um, so register, make sure you lock in your hotel. We still have room blocks available at Caesars and Harrah's, I believe. I think we sold out of the other ones. Um, so worth, get your hotel now, especially since we don't know who's in the Super Bowl yet. As soon as they announce the teams, 
hotels are going to are going to get more chaotic. So if you haven't booked your hotel or travel yet, do that, please. And make sure you get your tickets and register because this is one event that you cannot afford to miss. Yeah, it won't be the Jaguars, though, sadly. Sorry, Blythe. No, you'll be the only one of the few Jaguar fans in in attendance. So it was a rough day for you guys yesterday. But it's hey, look. It's an easy sell. It's a great event. You're going to meet a lot of people. There's amazing speakers. There's a great cross-section of shippers and logistics service providers. So I suggest that you go and check this event out. And you have less than a month to prepare. It's already January. How did it get to be January 8th, Pam? I have no idea. I have no idea. This has been going way too fast. But I'm really excited. I mean, like, I like can't wait to, to see everybody and get there in person um, just because I know how beneficial it is. And from the conversations I've been having, the amount of new business and that it has accomplished been done since last year's show. So we had over 60,000 meetings take place at last year's event. You'll hear a number of the announcements of new companies that are now working together because they met at Manifest. So really take advantage of the opportunity to be there uh, because this is where your company can really expand, grow, and develop with the newest technologies, the right investors, the right partners, the right customers. They're all going to be there. Pam, thank you so much for your time today. Everyone go get those manifest tickets and uh, y'all see each other in Vegas in uh, less than a month. (laughs) See you soon. Take care. Take it easy. All right, everybody. Elsewhere. How to pick up a duck. Part three. Common problems and mistakes. So, you've found yourself a duck, but you find yourself chasing after it. It always runs away when you try to pick it up. Don't do this. If you're behind, that should remind you that that's wrong. If you chase a duck, it'll run. So get in front of the duck and introduce yourself and state your intentions. Hello, duck. My name is human name, and I'm going to pick you up now. Place your hand firmly underneath the duck, palm side up, and lift. Congratulations, you're now holding a duck. Hey, <laughs> cowbell over there, come in handy. Don't do that with a Canadian goose though, they will bite. Hey, new guest right here. Niraj Mahaptra is the SVP and head of strategy over at CDL 1000. And I'll tell you something. My friend Mike Bush, he DM'd me, sir, and he said, hey, man, right before the holiday, we kicked off a new program aimed at helping companies track and offset emissions. Any chance you'd be up for having our VP of strategy on to talk about having companies go green? And I said, sure. Why the hell not? And then that's and you're here now. How you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be here, Duna. Where you uh, come? Are you uh, are you a SoCal guy like Mike? Uh, I was actually. I moved uh, to Chicago last year for the company, so I've been here for a year. Interesting. You have a you have a great background too. You've been with companies like Maersk in the past. Uh, uh, told. Tell us a little bit about what you do over at CDL One Thousand. So CDL One Thousand is a digital trade broker, and we are actually trying to cater to uh, top two hundred importers in the country. Actually, and uh, we have a very Uh, expansive landscape in terms of overall uh, how we cater to the shipment needs and both on the dredge and the chocolate side. So it's a one-stop shop, uh, honestly. So my next guest that that will be on after you, you're probably familiar with the Harbor Trucking Association. If you're over in Drayage, they're dealing with CARB, they're dealing with AB5, they're dealing with all sorts of regulations. I know that you have a new emissions product. Did some of these new CARB regulations coming down the pike uh, twist your hand a little bit? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So, so it's like the thing. It's like the main thing, uh, uh, which is like we can't uh, improve something we can't track. That's that's the main aspect. And uh, overall, uh, at CL One Thousand, we are trying to uh, attempt. Uh, we actually did attempt and actually have a product right now, uh, which is tracking carbon emissions across the country, across all modes of transportation. And the main aspect is that that will actually trickle down to savings uh, for the CFOs and these large shippers because very soon you'll see the Securities Exchange Commission actually having uh, a norm, an objective basically for all these uh, top Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies to actually uh, report their carbon emissions. And uh, that's that's something which is then you don't want like a, a general analyst to do that. You need uh, uh, products and digital uh, focus in terms of that. Plus, it's just not tracking. It's also offsetting. Of course, we can't offset everything. It's it can't be offset on the on a hundred percent level. But we can do the best in terms of aligning with the carbon emission goals for the companies. And so, how does how does it work? How does it how does it track? And how does it help offset these emissions? 
So yeah, so so our platform actually provides. So we have the historical shipments of all our shippers and everything else. So our shipper focused uh, program actually allows uh, the shippers to track each and every shipment uh, through all the lanes that we have and associated what our overall goal is like let's say if if uh, for example shipper a wants to have a 10% carbon emissions uh, offset goal and that's how they track it so in each and every shipment you have let's say every shipment is uh, generating somewhere around 2 to 3 tons of carbon emissions okay and you want to do it like 10% based on their goal you have all the settings over there and you can like check it and then we have an integration with uh, a few marketplaces that actually sell these offsets and you can directly access it from our portal it can be anything on the solar energy hydroelectricity afforestation whatever in terms of that again like the the main focus is this is a very new product in the market and a lot of people don't have an understanding but we are actually uh, benchmarking this with science based target initiatives where are carbon standards and also global logistics uh, emissions council so it is legit as it comes and and california like you said it has a lot of regulations coming in 40% of the uh, all the commodities and all the cargo comes in from there so that's one of the pilot programs but we are also looking into how we can do net zero carbon emissions with the alternative fuel like hydrogen and ev yeah even warehouses there are being hit with uh, zero emissions regulations yes. and and how those build outs have to happen so there's a lot of pressure on all sides how do the offsets work so it's like is it oh i have this diesel truck it's it's creating x amount of carbon so i'm going to buy uh a negative amount uh from a wind farm or something like that so so it's it's like this so think about it like this so you have like a a, a, a like a tank of offsets available so you buy let's say 100 dollar worth of offsets and you allocate it to a certain shipper basically okay and from that perspective what they do is uh we want to allocate let's say 10 uh you know uh, metric tons of carbon emission that can be allocated to them so overall if they did 100 metric tons of carbon emission across the year then we allocate 10 so so they what they're doing is they're offsetting 10% out of the total because uh, how you have to see this is like you can't offset total 100% that's like again like that's like cheating in a test <laughs> yeah from that perspective so so you have to go like uh, one step at a time basically and then they can select which program they want to get into that's another and we are also looking into procurement diversity in terms of like if it's a minority owned business or if it's a women owned business things like that so we are providing more and more fabrics in terms of how sustainability can be viewed focusing on the scope 3 emissions of transportation so how do how do like users of CEL one thousand use this uh, this program? So so uh, so our job is to be a liaison between uh, getting like we we are like consultants uh, to educate and enlighten the shippers about what is forthcoming. Okay, and then we tell them this is the proposal uh, that we have in terms of what 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 is your next quarter emissions okay, look like. We can also do it for the shipments that we are hauling for you guys. Or we can also uh, add other carriers. So we're also giving them the opportunity to add all of their shipments through our program as well. So that gives them the entire idea that, okay, like across like a shipper A, they've moved 100,000 shipments in 2023. This is the amount of carbon of, uh, you know, emissions and this is the amount of carbon offset they're willing to do. And then we can set their goals in terms of, so it's, it's like a, a more of a sustainable consultant, but we actually do haul their cargo as well. And do you look at like air freight emissions and ocean emissions as well, or is this just trucking? It's just trucking right now, basically, because we do have plans to expand and look into uh, other aspects because we are also looking into like uh, biodiesel and things like that, which is not exactly the diesel source, but it's also like an insetting. It's it's a very new program altogether because a lot of these programs don't have a, a proper benchmark at this point. That's another thing. So we are also going through the regulations and we are also, because as you mentioned, California, they have something called as low carbon fuel standards. And that's more applicable to the warehouses and the owners that own electric vehicles as well uh, on the commercial side. So that's another thing. So we're looking into all aspects, but at the same time, trying to make it very, very simple. Because again, like, you know, this is a new thing and everybody, the adoption part and the implementation part becomes very, very difficult if it's very complicated, as you can see. Yeah, well, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Where do people go to learn more about this and see if it would fit into their needs and help satisfy some of the demands being put on them in terms of emissions? 
So, yeah, so we have published a few white papers on this. Plus, uh, you can get more information on our website on CL1000.com. And from that perspective, I would say, like, there are various resources across the board to understand more about the carbon emissions, all the all the states that are rolling. It's like right now, it's just uh, California, Washington, Oregon, but there'll be more states that have this legislation coming in. And uh, we are also trying to uh, partner with steamship lines and terminals uh, to understand how we can expand this program so we can have an end-to-end carbon emissions tracking across the board. And the whole uh, point is to give the CFOs of these large, uh, uh, you know, BCOs and the, like these shippers the ability to track this and, and get rebates so that they can actually add these savings into their PNL, which is a big thing. Because like uh, getting this to the SEC is one, but then actually reaping the benefits is the second one over here. Wow. Hey, thank you so much for giving us some insight on this. Everybody go check that out. Thank you for stopping on What the Truck. You have a great 2024 and help offset some of those emissions, my friend. Yeah, of course, of course. Thank you so much, Junior. Take it easy. All right, everybody. It's going to be winter time, so drive safe out there. This is over wow. in Gledwood Canyon, Colorado. Driver's lucky they didn't come crashing down onto the wow. oncoming traffic here. See, he just fell right over the side. That is not the greatest highway over there, Glenwood Canyon, and it gets uh, pretty rough around this type of year. Drive safe. A lot of drivers, when I put, if you ever need to like dox a location, just put a video up and drivers immediately will be like, that, I know exactly where that spot is. So, hey, my next guest got a lot to talk about. It's Matt Schrapp, Chief Executive Officer at Harbor Trucking Association. Matt, you like the hat? I do. It looks great on you. Thank you very much. You said that right around Christmas time. And, uh, you know, I, I read your stuff and Ian Weiland's stuff all the time. You guys are kind of like my ear to the train tracks on what's going on in CARB and what's happening at the ports. And this year you were facing a big, big change for not just you, 14,000 trucks that call on the ports of L.A. and ports of Long Beach are, are we're facing this. There's been a, a slight stay of execution. What's going on with CARB at the ports? Right? It was supposed to be no diesels to start the year, right? Right, no new diesels. So no new diesel. as of one one twenty four, the rule, the advanced clean fleets rule, the drainage provision said you cannot enter in any internal combustion engine after the beginning of the year. So what has happened essentially is because of the pending waiver from the federal EPA for enforcement of the advanced clean fleets rule, ARB in their discussions with the California Trucking Association, our partner organization, they have scaled back and decided to implement a stay of enforcement, which would still allow internal combustion engines to be put into port service after the beginning of this year, pending the waiver issuance, or at least pending some resolution on the waiver as the question becomes for the ARB, do they need a waiver to enforce this rule in the first place? And if so, is the waiver that they submitted back in November sufficient enough in order to to allow them to move forward with those standards? Now, one thing you've been screaming about ever since these things came up, and, and you've been a big advocate, and Ian's been a big advocate, is uh, it's just not ready for prime time, right? There's not the charging infrastructure necessary. There's not the equipment necessary for uh, these drivers. And it seems like, you know, one one twenty four is just an arbitrary date. Someone pulled out of a hat. It doesn't really have any basis in the real world. It, are they starting to understand that? Is that why this, this waiver is in place? No, not necessarily. Um, It's very political, to say the least, uh, especially in drayage. You have a lot of communities that are in and around some of these major goods movement corridors who have been suffering from disproportionate impacts of, you know, asthma and restricted activity days and whatnot that they attribute to the goods movement sector. And while trucking, especially in the ports, if you look at the emissions inventory that came out from the ports of LA and Long Beach just last year, you'll see that diesel particulate matter, which is one of the main culprits in some of these these health effects that that folks are experiencing, has been reduced by 98% going back to 2006. And the oxides of nitrogen, the NOx, which is a precursor to smog and PM 2.5, has been reduced over 80%. So while these huge strides have been made in reducing emissions from our sector, of course, it's never enough. And as drayage is, you know, obviously part of the global supply chain, it's also the most visible. 
You see them on the highways. You see them in local neighborhoods, especially during the supply chain crisis when we had containers and chassis parked on city streets because we had nowhere to return those empty containers to. It just became a problem that has exacerbated itself into now these this political perspective that is forcing the state to try to take action to curb these so-called emissions from our sector without really taking into account some of the operational and technological limitations that folks face when trying to implement this equipment. Equipment. It, it's expensive, too. I mean, there's an economic reality to this. When you're talking about a brand new diesel that's 98% better than one from 2006, you're talking to maybe $170,000 for a new one. When you're talking about getting a battery electric truck, the, the options that are on the market are like $350,000 to $500,000. When you look at hydrogen fuel cell, I think those are, uh, last I was like $700,000. It's always hard to get like quotes out of some of these companies too. Yeah. So you know, it's, you know, it's really, really pricey. What is the community saying about that? Like, how are they going to make these investments? Well, ironically enough, you know, while the Air Resources Board had asserted during the development of the rule that truck prices for zero emissions were going to be going down, especially we'd start experiencing it now in 24 and in 25, the opposite is true. Uh, everything has gotten more expensive from labor to parts to shipping um, that, that we're, we're seeing a lot of price pressure on OEMs to be able to pass on their costs for the millions of dollars they put into research and development to some of these demonstration projects that are out there that I believe I saw a quote for a you know an OEM who shall remain unnamed out the door after FET and sales tax for $580,000 and that's for a battery electric vehicle you have incentive programs out there right now, especially for small fleets that can reduce that purchase price once you stack all the grants together and take some of the uh, funds from the Ports of LA and Long Beach that they've been collecting from their Clean Trucks Fund. You can get over $400,000 in incentive funding towards the truck. They are not flying off the shelves. Contrary to what all these, you know, Zev enthusiasts would like to have us believe, that even with the massive incentives, to offset the high price of the vehicle itself, you're not seeing widespread adoption because the infrastructure. That is really the issue that we're looking at is a lack of charging and fueling infrastructure. The truck, while yes, it's a challenge because it's expensive, it weighs more, it has limited range, your fueling times with current technology are, could be well over an hour. Despite all those things, it's still not the hardest part of the equation. The hardest part is figuring out a charging network or at least charging capability that's going to make sense and have a utility that's going to be able to deploy that in a timely fashion. So th those are really the main hurdles, but we have not seen any price relief anywhere, to say the least, so far. I mean, one of the few BEV trucks that you see riding around are the Nicholas. They had a big battery recall. The National Review, they actually recently did an article on EV growing pains, and they looked at someone who had one of those Nicholas, and they said that um, it took an hour to charge from 54% to 90%, and an hour and 35 minutes to charge from 25 to 93%. Now, you would need that for every truck at a port or near a port or at a warehouse or wherever the hell you plan on charging these things. But the other thing is from a cost-benefit thing, and one of the things people People always tout there's always an asterisk next to EV prices, and it's like you're going to save so much money on diesel. And I think that people are like, eh, wait a minute. Well, this trucking company estimated it made $310 less than it would have had it used a diesel truck the day that they had it deployed due to the time they had to take it off the road to charge it. These are economic realities that these companies have to face. Exactly. And th those type of ch cost challenges are nowhere to be found in the economic analysis that ARB used to justify the adoption of this rule. And those costs are in labor costs because it's lost opportunity costs because now your driver is literally sitting there waiting for the truck to charge. And the challenge becomes is that the truck itself can only take a certain level of kilowatt hour output from the charger. So while you have 350 kilowatt hour DC fast chargers that are available commercially today, the trucks, some of them, depending on the OEM, can't take more than 270. 
So it really depends on the OEM and their ability. And there's just a fear there. That's a lot of heat and a lot of energy that's being generated uh, to fuel these vehicles at that full aperture, if you will, of that 350 kilowatt hour charge. So you're looking at these cost implications that have to do with, you know, lost opportunity time, driver wages that you're needing to, to pay these folks to sit around and basically wait for their truck to charge. You have also the, 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 the challenge of range that even with a full 100% or 80% state of charge, depending on where you're going, you know, the reports that I get back directly from the people who are actually operating these vehicles. I'm not talking about the Tesla project that PepsiCo is doing. I'm talking about boots on the ground, actual zero emission drainage trucks in operation. 200 miles is the top end that people are getting. And really, it's more like 150, despite the fact that you hear from OEMs their effective range of being 250 to 350 miles. It's just not the case. Even with regenerative braking and some of the other uh, some of the other technology that's been put in to help stave off some of that energy use during operation or to generate additional energy to fill up those batteries, these folks are just not seeing the range. And so, you know, you're white knuckling it coming back from the Inland Empire, which is about 60 miles about from the Port of L.A. and Long Beach, Ports of L.A. and Long Beach, out to the Inland Empire and back. You're looking at almost having 0% charge by the time you're getting back to your base. The other side of that coin, Dooner, is that a lot of these trucks are slip-seated. And so you have two shifts down here in L.A., Long Beach, and in Oakland where would be the prime opportunity to charge these vehicles, that is during the peak usage rates in California, where we were told, you know, back in September, I think, of 2022 by uh, Governor Newsom that we shouldn't be plugging in our electric vehicles between 4 and 9 p.m. because that's the highest energy usage here in the state. That was actually the same day they released the initial language of the advanced clean fleets rule. The, the irony is not lost on us, right? But the, the challenge becomes is that if that's the same time when everybody is plugging in their trucks at the same time with the max kilowatt hour output, that is a lot of energy. And just some back-of-the-napkin uh, calculations look at well over 100 megawatts of additional capacity that's needed to fuel the drayage fleet on any one particular day. And, you know, the, the problem is, is that it takes a long time to build out this, this infrastructure. Uh, depending on where you are, you know, they would need a potentially a new substation to fuel you, which could take 10 years. I even heard of uh, one of the utilities down here telling a fleet that they would have to basically pay for the substation to be created and built because they would be the only ones who would be using it. That's a tough pill to swallow for folks who are trying to look at this transition. Understanding some of the political challenges, as was mentioned by our previous guest here, relative to scope three emissions disclosures coming from the SEC or from the state of California, while there is that downward pressure beyond just the regulatory front, you have the reality that is preventing widespread uh, rapid deployment of this technology. And, and, you know, unfortunately, that's not the reason why the rule had a stay of enforcement. The stay of enforcement was more administrative than anything else. Has not been reality-based so far, but ideally it's going to create an opportunity to open up additional dialogue with the Air Resources Board to look at a more palatable rule construct that will take into account some of these actual realities that folks are dealing with on a daily basis. You know, there's a speaking of charging there's and, and this is a government agency. This is the, the post office. They are trying to go green with del delivery vans. There's a report on Freightways TV. And here's a quote from it said, we found the management controls over the storage of charging stations were not effective. Specifically, facility management did not employ necessary physical safety measures designed to protect and deter theft of postal service assets. So not only does it take forever to build these charges, it costs a lot of money, but they're, they are targets for theft and vandalism as the post office themselves are learning. There's so many factors that are, I guess, you know, constraining or limiting this transition. And we all need to be just cognizant of what trade-offs are necessary to reach this zero emissions utopia that folks have been pushing on many different levels, including at the highest levels of government coming from the Biden administration. Uh, you know, it takes time, energy, and, and a cost 
to put this stuff into service. And when you have somebody like the post office pointing to these other extraneous sort of challenges about theft, about citing, about timelines, uh, not to mention some of the challenges that we have dealing with um, insurance companies where they're asking questions now to their fleet operators of how close these chargers are to actual physical structures. I had one member tell me that their insurance company, if they want, if they inquired about de- deploying hydrogen, the insurance company told them that they would need a $5 million liability policy to go on top of what they're currently paying for physical damage just to be able to run that advanced technology, hydrogen. So there's costs, there's challenges that I feel have just been glossed over for the sake of politics. So ideally, this gives us a little bit of breathing room to try to assess some of those challenges and and address them in a more pragmatic way that doesn't leave the drayage industry holding the bag on all of this, right? I mean, the the state of California is going to be on the bleeding edge of progressive politics. We all know that, right? Everything blows east coming from California is very evident. But, you know, these challenges are just seemingly insurmountable for many of these members out there. It's it's mind-boggling. And when you have an agency like the Air Resources Board who basically told all of us stakeholders throughout the process that they didn't feel that they needed a waiver in order to enforce this, that the Advanced Clean Trucks waiver would be sufficient, and they didn't think that they were going to need to apply for a different waiver, to all of a sudden, at the last minute, Go and apply for a waiver is just indicative of how little accountability this agency has to the actions that it's taking. I mean, the legislature can't even get them to do things in many occasions. So we need a hard look. And and I think other states who are trying to adopt this stuff should really take a step back because while California has massive political muscle to implement this stuff, some of these other states don't. And, you know, instead of writing a rule that makes sense, that's implementable, that can be enforced, they're writing things that basically amounts to throwing things against the wall to see what sticks. And all that does is just puts us all back into court. And at the end of the day, that limits the amount of actual emissions reductions we're going to be achieving in the timelines that some of these communities would like to see. So, you know, no shortage of challenges, to say the least. How do they plan on enforcing this, right? You can put as many rules as you you want out, but if nobody enforces it and nobody plays along, who really cares, right? And a lot of companies can't play along. It's like close up shop or play along. So I imagine they're probably just going to operate outside of compliance until they get nailed. Uh, Is that basically how you see it? Is that what's going to happen? In drayage, it's a little bit of a different animal, especially at the automated gates within some of our major containerized terminals. Um, Ports of LA and Long Beach, Oakland, they have RFID readers that basically ping the truck and then they ping the systems, both statewide and the local systems, to make sure that those trucks are physically registered with those individual databases. And if they're not, they get red-lighted. And so they can't do business if they're not meeting the standards. Now, everywhere else, because of the way that the high-priority fleets rule is written, which is a different provision under the ACF besides the drayage, it only applies to fleets that have a certain number of vehicles or make a certain amount of revenue each year, which more or less boils down to the honor system in some regards. So it's really, you know, catch me if you can Mm -hmm. on some levels. Drayage, we really don't have that luxury, if you will, because we're being regulated at these gates. The facility operators are the ones who are responsible for making sure that they're only allowing compliant vehicles to enter into their properties. That includes intermodal rail yards. That includes some of the smaller ports like Stockton, Sacramento, Wainimi. It's put back on them to make sure that they're either recording down non-compliant truck information that they then report to the state who then opens up an enforcement action on that particular trucking company, or they preempt you from coming into the system or into the facility at all in the first place. Wow. How about AB5? What kind of impact is that going to have on, on capacity in the drayage market? Well, you know, was, we've, we've been up against this AB5 challenge now for, you know, well, since they removed the injunction on June 30th of 2022, uh, you know, the state hasn't necessarily given clear guidance 
to folks and how they're supposed to comply. And so many people went and spent millions of dollars in either turning into an asset-based company or switching over to some level of brokerage where they utilize small fleets. You do not have the phenomenon of the leased on owner operator. Um, unfortunately, because the state of California, I don't think they even know how to enforce AB5. And there's no clear guidance that has come from the state besides saying, hey, if you feel you're misclassified, send us an email to I am misclassified at, you know, Department of Labor or whatever. Uh, that beyond that, we haven't seen a lot of public, I guess, auditing or enforcement action by the state relative to AB5 compliance. Um, a lot of folks made a lot of investments in order to try to comply. And I think there's a level of frustration out there that they're seeing other folks who are taking more of that catch me if you can type of attitude, which is leading to potentially overcapacity, might be driving rates down a little bit, especially on the drainage side. We're under a lot of pressure right now here uh, locally, despite some of the volume swings that are predicted to come back to the West Coast because of some of the challenges in the Red Sea, also in the Panama Canal. Uh, we're, we're ideally hoping that we'll see, have enough capacity to meet that demand. But if these regulatory pressures start to bubble up to the surface and all of a sudden if the state comes out and starts doing a robust enforcement of AB5, unfortunately, it's going to depend on what they ultimately determine is an appropriate compliance pathway. And I've even had representatives at the state tell me this is something for the courts to work out. And all that does is just take time, energy, and money. money. <laughs> Again, when AB5 could have been crafted to be much more sensible, that would provide a clear pathway for folks who wanted to remain as independent small businesses instead of being forced into an employee construct that obviously was met with a tremendous amount of resistance, especially from some of the small fleet operators out there. You know, we got to start. We got to stop letting lawyers write these uh, regulations. They, there's too much. There's too much skin in the table. There's too much money for them to rake in as we all fight over these things. And they just take all the money and bill the hours on us. Well, there's a lot going on. You guys in the port of L.A. know and port of Long Beach, you know, as much of, as anybody about disruption. Secretary Pete tweeted this. He said extreme weather is expected to be the top factor in supply chain disruption next year. Reminds us how urgently we must work to set up our infrastructure for climate resiliency. I have to ask you. You. What do you think will be the top disruption this year? That's a great question, Dooner. And, you know, if I had a crystal ball, we'd probably all be in a different line of work, right? Yeah. The, the challenges that we face, especially as drayage operators, really have to do with operational constraints and inefficiencies. And if we start experiencing some of those major influx of volume into West Coast gateways, we're going to see the same type of phenomenon that we saw happen the last go round, which for us turned into an issue with empty container returns. Mm -hmm. That that in and of itself, especially how it impacts chassis supply, is a major disruptor. Because if I have chassis that are sitting under empty containers that I'm unable to return back into a marine terminal facility because the ocean carrier has basically capped the number of empties that they'll accept at that particular terminal, then we're going to see chassis supply constrained because I'm sitting under an empty ch container that I can't move. So while, you know, weather is always going to play a factor, I think that just one blip in the operational efficiencies, such as empty container restrictions, chassis restrictions, box rules on chassis usage, things of this nature from an operational standpoint, I think that's going to be the biggest disruptor. Ideally, we've learned some lessons from the previous supply chain disruption that we all went through here. You know, we're still reeling a little bit from some of the challenges. And while the ports of LA and Long Beach and Oakland had tried to step up with temporary storage yards, uh, it wasn't enough to meet this massive demand. So ideally, we'll be more prepared. So really, at the end of the day, maybe the biggest disruptor is probably going to be politics that's going to disrupt the supply chain. Because, you know, during the supply chain crisis, everybody on Capitol Hill was a supply chain expert. Now that we've seemingly are getting back to some normalcy outside of the Red Sea Challenge, outside of the drought in Panama, this is no longer the topic du jour. So if it rises back up to being disruptive again, I'm sure no, we will have no shortage of politicians trying to get involved to, to, to fix the problem or at least remedy it from their perspective. Amen. Little cowbell, little cowbell for that. And you know what? That, that, 
that uh, powder keg has already been lit with what's going on in Panama Canal, what's going on in Red Sea. Rates are already doubled up. All it takes is a little bit more pressure, some congestion, and those steamship lines cannot wait to jack those prices, costing you tons. Chassis tied up. It's going to cause a lot of issues. Matt, you've been a great resource today. How do people find more information about what's going on at the ports that may impact them? Sure. Check us out on the, all the social media threads at Harbor Truckers. You can follow me on LinkedIn too, or I'm, I'm pretty active at Matt Schrapp there. Uh, not, not a ton of X work these days, but we're definitely active on LinkedIn. We find that's a great platform to engage in some very thoughtful dialogue. So please, you know, g- give us a follow, drop us a line. Happy to hear from folks from all over the country. We represent motor carriers doing business on the West Coast of the United States, from San Diego to Seattle, Tacoma, like I said. So we've got a lot of issues, a lot of resources, and hopefully some good information that will help people make some better decisions. Hey, Matt, take care. Have an awesome 2024. Thanks, Tanner. You too. Take it easy. All right, I'll send you home with a a good story, right? A trucker lost their cat. Take a look at this beautiful cat. A trucker lost their cat in Nevada. He was rescued in Rock Springs. He's now heading home to Illinois. Cowboy State Daily reports Tyler is that cat right there. He's a spirited cat who keeps his trucker owner company on the road. He was about to complete, actually, he's about to complete an 18,000-mile adventure after they were separated in Fernley, Nevada, For the first leg of his journey, Tyler found himself 600 miles away. The cat got loose at a rest stop as a pair of teen drivers. Fortunately, this cat had a a microchip in it. Good Samaritan scans that thing. They give it to, uh, they give it to, um, uh, what do you call this? The vet, the, the pet recovery place, the animal rescue league. That's what you call it. They teamed up with this great company that reunites people, volunteers to reunite people with their cats. They took the cat, Tyler, back to their owners. And they said when she called us, he was like, in Rock Springs, I was like, wait, what? I couldn't believe it when she said Wyoming. It's Brandy McIntyre. Well, good to see you guys back together. Hey, see you Friday. No show Wednesday. Take care and don't be a stranger. <laughs>